I'm Mark Beattie, Editor-in-Chief of Archives of Disease and Childhood. I'd like to highlight some content from the September edition of the journal. The first article I'd like to cover relates to is it taking longer to die in paediatric intensive care? This is a really interesting article to read. Childhood mortality is falling with the majority of child deaths being in children with chronic health problems. Data from the UK Paediatric Intensive Care Audit Network, that's PECANET, show that crude mortality in British paediatric intensive care units has followed the national trend and fallen consistently from 5.5% in 2003 to 4 to 3.7% in 2013. While survival is improving, the prevalence of life-limiting illness and chronic disease in British children is increasing. This is during a period of considerable growth in the provision and availability of paediatric intensive care. In this issue, Plunker and colleagues explore some of the factors that may influence length of stay. This is looking at 165,000 admissions over a 10-year period. Length of stay increased by 0.31 days per year with a confidence interval of 0.169 to 0.449 in non-survivors and by 0.064 days per year in survivors. Proportion of early deaths, that's within 24 hours of admission, fell by 0.44 points per year, but the proportion of late deaths, that's over 28 days, increased by 0.44% per year. This overall increase in length of stay, therefore, is driven by a reduction in early deaths and increased proportion of late deaths. The authors conclude that this data suggests that the scenario of an early death in paediatric intensive care following treatment failure may be being replaced by the death of a child at the end of a long paediatric intensive care admission. This has significant implications for children with life-limiting conditions. There is an excellent accompanying editorial, Dying Later, Surviving Longer, which discusses the data set and its implications. The second article I'd like to cover relates to pathways between health, education and income in adolescence and adulthood. It's well known that children from poorer families have a higher risk of developing chronic health conditions and that ill health has a significant negative effect on labour force participation in adults. Calendar in this month's journal explores the impact of household income and physical and mental health in adolescence on education attainment, household income and health status in adults. This is on a group of 655 patients, 48% male. The data is quite striking. In essence, physical health at age 17 to 18 was significantly related to level of educational achievement at age 29 to 30, with the influence of this being greater in magnitude than that of household income at age 17. Females, physical health at 17 to 18, 
was also significantly related to household income aged 29 to 30. Findings were similar in males. The data's in the paper. The odds ratio of achieving a year 12 or higher level of educational attainment was 4.72 for females, 5.05 for males, compared with those with poor physical health at age 17 to 18. The authors conclude, therefore, that as physical health in adolescence appears to have a stronger influence on education attainment in adults than household income, equity strategies for educational attainment should also target those with poor health. The third article I'd like to cover relates to learning from excellence. This is a real challenge to how we think in the NHS in the 21st century. I'm going to start with a quote. It's a quote from the paper from Eliau Mosh Goldratt. Tell me how you measure me and I will tell you how I will behave. Patient safety is a key component of the strategy to improve the quality of healthcare delivery. This is mostly focused on identifying adverse incidents and errors and implementing change to avoid their recurrence. This is essentially reactive. The process is widely encouraged across the NHS. There is the potential, however, for a negative impact on healthcare workers depending on the processes within organisations, feedback and strategies to deal with and manage staff involved. In a leading article in this issue, Kelly et al. discuss the more positive approach of learning from excellence in healthcare as a new approach to instant reporting. This clearly can't replace adverse event reporting as these issues need to be flagged up and dealt with in order that changes can be made to try and reduce the potential for recurrence. If, however, positive incidents and experiences are reported, essentially what has gone well, why did it go well, and how can we best learn from it, there is the potential to create a more positive culture of reporting and learning. This nurturing of positivity within individuals and teams is likely to lead to improved resilience and ability to deal with adversity. The authors discuss some of the practicalities of the process introduced in their unit, the Learning from Excellence initiative. Incidents are submitted electronically and discussed at an IRIS, that's Improving Resilience Inspiring Success meeting, with in-depth investigation of some using appreciative inquiry. The feedback has been positive and led to quality improvement initiatives which focus on gold standard management rather than deficit reduction. This is an important paper. It's editor's choice this month. It reflects a progressive approach moving from a culture whereby we tend to discuss adverse events and how to avoid them to discussing all aspects of care and how to make that care better. I'd like to next talk a little bit about publishing quality improvement. We're very keen to publish quality improvement, which impacts on clinical practice and can demonstrate that a clearly defined intervention has resulted in a change which is positive, sustainable and transferable for impl implementation in other centres. This can be as a full original article, see the instructions for authors, or as a short report. 
For a short report, the intervention needs to be clear, with a brief abstract, then introduction, methods, results and discussion. Don't forget to highlight what's known and what this study adds. We have two excellent articles published this month. The first discusses structured supported feeding admissions for restrictive eating disorders on paediatric wards and how to make it work and thereby reduce the need for specialist inpatient eating disorder unit admissions. It's a great example of effective joint working between paediatric medical and mental health services. The second relates to an introduction of a care bundle to improve eye care in children in the paediatric intensive care unit. Both are excellent reads, informative, practical and helpful. I'm Mark Beattie, Editor-in-Chief of Archives of Disease and Childhood. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Please refer to the journal website for the full papers. Thanks for listening.